0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series Israel Insider this week with Alex Selsky. I'm Stacey Roman and I'll be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Alex Selsky, a senior advisor to Middle East Forums Israel Victory Project, join us this week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Alex will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Alex Selsky.
1: Hi, thank you very much. Uh, Well, good uh, evening from Jerusalem and good afternoon for all our viewers. Well, this week's major event was definitely the operation Dawn. Uh, that was, uh, you know, very sudden, started very suddenly and also in the same sudden way it was finished. It was only three days, actually, even less than three days. And uh, we would like to ask, uh, and that exactly is the topic of our talk today, what led to this operation? What were the uh, reasons and what are the implications of this operation in the field of security and definitely politics as uh, as uh, secretary of state kissinger once said there is only domestic politics in israel well we are in the beginning of a new uh, you know wave of the most popular israeli game called elections fifth only fifth in three years so definitely such an event as this operation in gaza will implement the israeli politics and is a major, major component of these elections campaigns of everyone. And at the end, we will add also two other very important events that also took place in uh, this week. And one is actually ended now, is the primaries um, in two, once it was the two major parties today, It's one of the major parties, definitely, is Likud. Today, there are primaries in Likud. And a few days ago, it was primaries in the Labour Party. So we will touch that in the end. So let's speak about the Operation Dawn against the Islamic Jihad that Israel launched um, and initiated, actually. Uh, which is very outstanding for Israel to initiate operations. Israel usually is the one that reacts. Why Israel did that? So first of all, it was uh, a security escalation few days before. Israel arrested one of the, you, you know, you know this information. Israel arrested one of the leaders of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Judea and, Jamari, in Judea and Samaria. Only arrested, not, uh, you know, not killed, not... Uh, Assassinated. And uh, as a result, Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza um, was uh, ready to launch a terrorist act uh, next to the border of Gaza. And Israel actually instructed all the uh, communities next to Gaza, what we called around Gaza, Otef Aza, to stay at home and actually closed all the uh, all the major roads around uh, the, the border with Gaza for a few days. And it caused much criticism uh, toward the political establishment and security. How come? you know Israel is so frightened and, 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 and just a small terror organization like Islamic Jihad can just you know, threaten and we are so, uh, so uh, threatened and we just stop our life. Apparently, it was uh, the army was and the political leadership were already planning the operation. And within three days after that happened, Israeli army assassinated and killed, actually within uh, one two days, all the military leadership of Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza, and arrested. More than twenty leaders and major activists of Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, in Judea and Samaria. Now, what is very important and very um, uh, outstanding, even though not the first time it happened, that Hamas didn't join the fighting, and that actually enabled Israel to to make this very uh, successful operation that ended in three days. Now. Now let's analyze why it happened in two levels, in two fields, the security one and the political one. Well, in the field of security, it was first of all, definitely successful operation. It was fast. It was very um, successful. Israel assassinated and killed all the military uh, leadership of Islamic Jihad. Uh, no casualties on Israeli side, even though Islamic Jihad had uh, more than one thousand rockets. No casualties, and the Iron Dome was extremely successful this time and reached success of ninety-seven percent of uh, eliminating all the threats of the rockets uh, fired from uh, Gaza. So it was it was very successful. And it was a, a, a signal, as I see, and many of you know, we already see many commentaries that it was a signal, first of all, of a deterrence toward Hamas, toward Hezbollah, which, by the way, exactly at these days also was threatening because of the disputed Bora within the sea between Israel and Lebanon because of the uh, recently found discoveries of natural gas on Israel's side. Um, Exactly at these days, the Secretary General of Islamic Jihad was visiting Iran. And I want to remind that Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is the most Iranian proxy within Gaza, within the Palestinian, uh, rejectionist organizations, and it's directed uh, directly from from Iran, and these were the days exactly where the leader of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad visited uh, visited Iran. So, and, and well, I don't have to remind you that we are before apparently um, a new stage of negotiations between Iran and United States and Europe on uh, uh, the agreement between the United States and Iran, which is very much uh, uh, condemns and doesn't agree. So it was definitely a signal for uh, a a warning for all these players to say, we're here. We're watching and we can, assassinate, we can launch, we can uh, not only react, we can attack if it's needed and we have the abilities and we have very, very good intelligence. And that was a very good showcase to say, to to to, to warn everyone. On the other hand, let's go to the political side also. Yair Lapid is a prime minister. Yair uh, Lapid, definitely not, uh, you know, uh, uh, not an army person and doesn't have any security, um, record any security experience and many, many within Israel and outside Israel. We're thinking that Lapid is not able to launch any kind of security operation and will not be able to deal with security issues at all. So security wise and politically wise for Lapid was important to show that he's able to show it as a warning to all the foreign security threats and to all the internal domestic political threats to say, I can be a prime minister. Israel has a prime minister that can deal with security threats and can deal with it right and successfully. By the way, polls show day after the operation was ended, very, very high satisfaction of Israeli public with this operation. About 66% uh, of uh, people in the poll, the Israeli citizens, said that they were very satisfied with the uh, management by prime minister, and even more, 72, 73 percent were satisfied with the management of the defense minister, Benny Gantz. Now, here is also a political thing, because they actually compete, Lapid and Gantz, on leadership within the, uh, what we call, uh, uh, the the. the anti-Netanyahu coalition, yeah, the change coalition, or it, it, one one side of the camp because it's either the Netanyahu and his camp, meaning the uh, National Zionists and the uh, and the uh, Haredi, yeah, what they call as right-wing, and the camp of center-left. And within the center-left, the two top parties that will compete on the leadership is Lapid and guns. Gantz. So it's not only that Lapid wanted to show himself; Gantz wanted to remind himself and say, "I, I am the security guy." And we definitely see that he actually succeeded in that because he got even more uh, high results in these polls. Um, also, very interesting point is that uh, you know it ha- this operation happened only after the coalition fell apart. Now, Netanyahu, the head of the uh, opposition said, well, this is exactly what shows that you cannot have a government that can deal with the security threats when you have our party in the coalition because only after the coalition fell apart and Ram is already outside and nobody's scared for this coalition to fall apart, and nobody's scared that Ram will resign. Now you can you can have an operation. And immediately after that, number two in Ram actually said to an interview that yes, yes, actually that's right. That if now it were times when we were in the coalition, we wouldn't have been letting them to launch such an operation. So it's a very important case in in. in to some extent actually i think damaging the message of uh, lapid and gant saying that we you know we can manage an operation because people understand that you could manage this operation only because the coalition already fell and Ram is already outside okay i have a few uh, minutes to uh b- before your questions so um But I would like to say something uh, uh, opposite and and, and criticize. You know, it's amazing to see how people are satisfied with the operation in which more than 1,000 rockets were fired on Israel, including big cities like Rishon LeZion, Ashdod, Bechovot, Tel Aviv, and suburbs of Jerusalem suburbs of Jerusalem were fired. Now, yes, we didn't have any casualties. Yes, it's correct that the Iron Dome was extremely successful, but still it was more than 1,000 rockets. How come our expectations from ourselves and our securities are so low that we can call an operation successful and victorious? Victorious, it was called victorious. While more than thousand rockets fell on Israeli, w- w- were fired on Israeli citizens, children, families, women, elders were scared by this situation. It's not normal. Israel cannot afford this anymore. We cannot just go and and continue these waves of violence, and you know, and call ourselves winners while we beat one small organization, which is 100 times weaker than Hamas and 1,000 times weaker than Hezbollah, which still was able to fire more than 1,000 rockets and say to ourselves, we won. Well, I don't think it is victory. It was a successful micro, micro, I repeat, that's my view, anti-terrorist organization and it shows capabilities, but it doesn't show victory. It's not victory. And if we want to win and defeat the Palestinian rejectionism, we cannot go on such small things and we have to do more. We have to defeat this rejectionism and they have to stop firing any rockets. And it in, in, and this deterrence must include Palestinian terror organization and all their supporters, including Hezbollah and including Iran. Um, Well, Stacey, I think we are exactly at 15 minutes, so maybe we will go to, uh, we will transfer to uh, questions.
0: Perfect, sounds good. Thank you so much for that assessment. Um, For our viewers, if you would like to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. Oh, that worked. All right, uh, Carrie Hillebrand asks, what were the reactions, both official and in the street, to the operation in the UAE, Bahrain, and Morocco?
1: Well, I don't think that we know what, what the reactions on the streets, but we do see that we don't see any, you know, we were not condemned actually I, we saw support definitely from the European countries, definitely from the leaders of Britain, which were usually you know very uh, you know not it's not for granted their support. So I think uh, you know also, you know, when I told that it's an, a signal, I think it was also a signal for the anti-Iran Arab Sunni coalition when Israel comes and say, guys, we we can fight. We can fight, trust us and rely on us. And if we need to fight, we fight. You know, I met uh, on behalf of Middle East Forum with um, Iranian leadership in exile who live in the United States and England. And they told me, you know, Arabs, uh, even though they have, you know, much money and very good weapon, they don't fight so they look at israel and then and they expect israel to be the fighter so when israel launches such an operation even though it's small but yet successful israel shows that rely on us be with us come to us and and it encourages cooperation normalization and definitely again it happens exactly after you know even more strengthening of connection between Israel and Saudis. I remind you that Biden came to Israel then flew to Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia opened its um, skies for uh, flights from Israel. So everything here is definitely connected and we definitely can see that Arabs, uh, I can tell even more, not only Arab states, but Hamas himself definitely enjoyed this operation sitting and saying, you know, secretly, thank you to Israel helping us to, you know, to to control Gaza and replace, uh, you know, competitors.
0: So, along those lines, uh, Barack Korkmaz asks: Is Hamas becoming a rational actor? If not, who will be addressed in terms of peace?
1: Peace—it's a very complicated word. Uh, let's talk about security. Uh, if Hamas is a rational player, well, we definitely see in, in this wave, in this operation, that Hamas was rational. And I'll I'll go back to the end of my previous answer that Hamas understood that, A, he has what to lose. Because Hamas started, you know, to rebuild Gaza with some of Israeli uh, assistance and Egyptian assistance. And uh, they definitely have what to lose. Israel gave uh, about thirty thousand permits for workers from Gaza to work in Israel. It's huge assistance to economy. Now Hamas is the civil government as well. So you know when people in Gaza, uh, you know, up they 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 come to the responsible to Hamas. So Hamas definitely has has what to lose and they understand that Israel also you know helps them and they also some people say they're deterred by Israel I don't know if they deterred I think they just more as exactly you mentioned they just rational now does it mean that there is more of kind of normalization of dialogue with Hamas well yes I just hope that it doesn't mean that Israel will you know Spoil itself by thinking that they can normalize their relationship with Hamas and stop seeing in Hamas uh, an enemy. Uh, I think that will be a mistake, and and we must defeat Hamas as well. But at this at this point, Hamas definitely is is much more rational, understanding that it doesn't need another fight, another garden of the walls, as it feels.
0: All right, thank you so much. Uh, Ron asks, "What, if any, is the significance of Egypt's role in the ceasefire?"
1: Well, it has a major significance because Egypt is the one that moderates the uh, uh, the negotiations from both sides. As Israel doesn't speak to Hamas openly, now I'm sure that there are some. Um, abilities of Israelis to speak to Hamas directly, but officially the the one who moderates the negotiations are Egyptians and they do so. And it's also important because it shows to Hamas and to all the world and to, again, to all the Sunni Arab partners that Hamas is on our, is that, sorry, that Egypt is on our side. So when Egypt moderates it, and, and does it in full coordination with Israel. So it has a huge role, first, to finish, you know, to come to this truce and ceasefire, and second, to show that, that for Israel to show that they are coordinated with uh, Egypt, and for Egypt to show to all the rest of the Arabs, okay, Israel, we're close to Israel. And today, you know, uh, it's, 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 you know, funny to say, but many Arab states compete and who is closer to Israel because Israel today is a superpower because, as I said, Israel shows that it's ready to act. Everybody understands that Israel is active within Iran more than majority of the Arab states. So Arabs understand that today you want to be strong, you have to be a side with Israel.
0: Thank you. Uh, David Levine asks, how did any terror organization get 100 or 1,000 plus rockets into Gaza? And Strassa follows up, are the rockets really being made in Gaza or is Iran managing to supply them?
1: Very good question. And this is the smaller organization. Think about how many rockets were, you know, are in Hamas's hands. Now, I can remind you that in in the previous operation almost 5000 rockets were fired and we know that Hamas can do more it's a very good question and they definitely succeed to self-produce within Gaza with much of Iranian help but yes they have a very very developed underground Production capabilities, and they, um, um, you know, I think that's unprecedentedly um, stronger than we 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 can afford. And that's exactly what I said. We cannot afford that. No matter if you know they deterred or not deterred, we cannot afford that Hamas forget the Islamic jihad. It's a smaller organization that Hamas will have ability to fire again six, seven, eight thousand rockets. I remind you that Guardian of the Walls was just less than 20 days. Okay. What if tomorrow we have an operation of thirty days? What if tomorrow Israel goes to disarm Gaza from rockets? It will be what five thousand rockets fired. We cannot afford. We cannot afford that. And this is not normal. And we cannot lower, as I said, our expectations so low from ourselves to call ourselves winners when you know families and children you know had to run into to. Uh, shelters uh, within what? Tel Aviv? It's crazy.
0: Absolutely. Laurie Kurz follows up on that. I'm thrilled to hear you speak that Israel needs to not be satisfied with a thousand missiles falling on Israel. What in your opinion should be done to prevent it from happening again?
1: Well, you know, we uh, the Middle East Forum has a wonderful project called Israel Victory Project, which I'm honored to be part of. And we come and claim for many years and we do everything to convince everybody in Israel from top to down that Israel has to defeat the terrorist organization. Now, what does it mean? It means many things. It means changing many, many policies in terms of control over um, the sovereignty of Negev and Bedouins and if it's Temple Mount and if it's uh, mixed cities and if it's uh, conditions of uh, the security um, the terrorists within the Israeli uh, jails and if it's uh, you know you have to finish it you have if you go for operation finish it Go to disarmament, go to a, a, a don't give them any strength, don't give them any concessions. Okay, no permits, push and push and push. And we had just, um, and I hope that this is part of the reason we just now wrote a, um, a an op ed saying, Listen, Palestinians are weak. Now, Palestinians are weak. Look, Biden came here, he didn't consider them. He humiliated Abu Mazen. He didn't go even to Mukata to Ramallah. He met him where in Bethlehem, which is another Muslim city, yeah. And and he met him for one hour and said nothing to him, giving him some small money as you know as as as, as I don't know what uh, lip service. So now, when they're weak, go and push even more. Nobody will care for Palestinians now. Europe is overwhelmingly busy with uh, Ukraine, states with Iran and 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 China, Arabs with Iran. A war in uh, Ukraine causes inflation, which is much more important to Europeans and Americans. That's the time not to give concessions, but to push even more and to defeat Palestinian rejectionism, showing them that they have to stop Fighting, Because only after they will understand that they're defeated, defeated in this conflict, they will understand that they have to do something else and not fight Israelis and build whatever they want. Now, we call our project uh, solution agnostic, meaning that we don't speak what will be the, uh, the final arrangement. Will it be two states, one state, new state, whatever, Emirates within the Palestinian territories? No, any arrangement can be possible until they're defeated and understand that Israel cannot be defeated that all the Palestinian rejectionist has to have to uh, uh, accept as Israel as a strong winning Jewish state to stay and that will be over and we claim that there are many many policies which I briefly very briefly mentioned some which we have to uh, to lead one of them in Gaza and stop thinking that we need strong Hamas for many years Israeli establishment thought that we need strong Hamas because it splits the Palestinian Authority and delegitimizes uh, uh, the the Palestinian National movement in the in the international Arena Believe me, nobody will really support them. We don't need, even if we need Hamas, we can disarm them. By the way, we work now on on a a very important position paper by one of the major brigadier generals um, in reserve in Israel, writing a paper exactly describing a plan, how we can do that. And we will be happy to tell about it.
0: Thank you so much. One final question. Larry Greenberg asks, "Is there enough political will to win in Gaza to show Hamas Fatah and Hezbollah that they can can be destroyed?
1: That's exactly what I'm saying that unfortunately, in Israel for many than ten for more than ten years, it was a policy not to win in Gaza. It was a policy policy that, you know, okay, let's have a little war every two years. It's not an existential threat. It's far from Tel Aviv, from Jerusalem, and you know, but but yet we need Hamas because it's you know it splits exactly exactly what I said. We claim that this policy is wrong because until we don't defeat in Gaza, everybody will think that we can be defeated. And Palestinians, you know, they look, they 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 they, they don't see Israel as superpower. That cannot be defeated until they see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. Now it can be in Gaza, it can be on the Temple Mount, it can be in Negev. Until they think that they can hurt Israel a little, they dream, they can can defeat it at all. Until we defeat any of these feelings of seeing light in the end of the tunnel, we will not win.
0: All right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Alex, thank you for taking time to update us this week.
1: Thank you very much and see you all uh, next time.
0: Absolutely. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Oh, sorry, we are actually not having a webinar this Friday. My apologies. Uh, Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.